Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. We are back after quite a while. Hey, Jake, about two months there, we weren't able to get out of podcast. You were traveling. Did you catch COVID? You caught COVID too, right? I think since last time we had it, I've had dengue, COVID, my wife's torn a meniscus, I've been to the UK, uh, and then come back here and got sinusitis. So going well, going well for me. And then right as soon as you got back, I got COVID for the second time. And then you got COVID, yes. So it's been a struggle, guys. That's why (laughs) normally Jake and I are pretty consistent with these podcasts, but uh, it's been a struggle. We're back here with an excellent guest. Uh, I'd like to introduce my guest for the podcast today. This is Jason Gregoritis. He's a second degree uh, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu from South Africa. We uh, flew you in here to do some seminars and some gradings and stuff on a brutal trip to uh, South Africa, and I thought it would just be really great to get to chat with you and kind of pick your brain about techniques and concepts, which you taught very, very beautifully at the gym i thought and uh we really appreciate you being here man so thanks for coming cool awesome yeah thanks bro thanks for having me uh it was really nice and unexpected surprise uh, obviously you know i was planning for the seminar and then when you popped the question you're like hey you know would you be interested we have a chat and uh, put something on the podcast i was like yeah awesome so thanks man yeah super super stoked yeah of course no i was just saying we had an interesting first meetup today because literally uh i was watching the leon edwards and the kamara usman fight on my phone uh, at the gym, and the second Jason walked in today for the for the nogi class was right when Leon Edwards' shin slapped upside Usman's head, and literally he's just like, "Hey, look!" And then I'm like, "Oh!" And I just started screaming. And the whole gym's like, "What? What? What?" And I just could not believe it. It was one of those truly great sporting moments, right? And it just kind of caught me in a flash right the second that you walked in the door. So. Uh, <laughs> So hi for that, anyways. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, it was up, a How are you? definitely an entrance I'm going to remember for a while. Did yeah. you did you take a chance to uh, catch it yet? Did you actually see? No, the no, kit? no, I haven't haven't watched it yet. Jake, if you if you could, if it's not difficult, maybe you could just pull up the the I, gif. I, or I can't, yeah, throw it on the screen. Then, then no, no, I can't. I just can't throw it up on but the screen. But man, as a, just a fan of martial arts, I love jujitsu and everything. Mm-hmm. But I love all of it, right? The boxing, yeah, the yeah. muay thai, the everything, the wrestling, which was like the first thing I did. Oh, and yeah, when I awesome. see a beautiful like punch to a head kick combo that catches someone clean, it's just like it's like a flying submission or something, right? Like just yeah, yeah. beautiful to yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, just something so enjoyable, and uh, I think especially as like a someone who does combat sports, you can just appreciate when there's like um, just kind of like a well-affected move, whatever that is, submission or a strike. Like yeah, I think uh, I think it's quite uh, apparent you just appreciate like the the skill that goes behind it. And the context behind this fight was really, really interesting too because this is a, uh, he is a massive underdog. Leon Edwards is a massive underdog. They fought already. Oh, here we go. Uh, I, can't, I can't put it up because we'll get no, copyright. No, you don't have to put uh, it on the screen, but we, let us watch it. <laughs> I mean, look at Usman, dude. So I'm trying to find he, it. It's, I think it's a little bit forward. Where is it? Knowing that it's not going to show it. Yeah, I think it showed up around here somewhere. But he was getting destroyed. He was getting taken down all the time. Mm-hmm. The broadcasters were literally saying... Leon Edwards is just trying to get to the bell. He's just trying to get to the bell. He's done. He's just, he's not trying to win. Look at this. Boom. Oh. oh. Hit it behind the root. The sa- same oh. side. Yeah, same side, right? Tickets. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you saying that, uh, I mean, effectively, yeah, what the, the sentiment was with the guy was just kind of, he'd already checked out and, um, yeah, so it was just kind of total surprise. And I suppose that's, I mean, one of the things that makes for a great MMA match. And a massive underdog. So, like, you know, if you're a British MMA fan, like Jake oh, must have just wild. been losing it, right? You saw picture videos in the UK and everything of all of everybody exploding. This is the first ever, like, UK-born. Well, he's not UK-born. He's actually Jamaican. But, okay. But he emigrated when he was young. But he trained his whole career in the UK. 
and didn't like go to the States or something to learn how to wrestle. So they made it kind of a big deal that he trained his whole life there. Doesn't go to the big mega camps oh, or whatever. He's homegrown. Yeah. Right? And he was yeah, able yeah, to go super in. Impressive. And, and Usman was number one pound for pound. He'd never lost in the UFC. He was if he'd won today, he would have tied Anderson Silva's record wow. for the most consecutive wins. Yeah. So, Man, Matt, so like, it's like a Tyson Buster Douglas type situation, right? Yeah. That's why I was like, oh, it's losing my mind. <laughs> And yeah. uh, anyway, man, uh, sorry, I, I gush a little bit. I love it, dude. But uh, you know I what? Really I can see it. that. And uh, <laughs> you know what? I think it's a, a good thing to be uh, as pres- as passionate as yourself. So, so keep it up, Luke. Solid, bro. Well, I wanted to touch on the seminar uh, a little bit that you did. You did it uh, with us on Saturday. Man, some of the details that you had are really. Everybody, you and your brother both did this. Your, your brother's Nick, he gave me my black belt and he came in uh, here a few years ago, right when we opened up. And you both do the drilling with your eyes closed. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you know that you both do that or if it's just something that you... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah, that was something that we were both uh, introduced to pretty early on in grappling. So, um, yeah, actually just doing the, the rolling and the sparring with the eyes closed. Uh, I think that was something that we were both exposed to early on. And I think for um, just our progression, while wow, it was so impactful, I think it's something that we've both held on to. I mean, even now, after almost like 20 years down the line. So I think that's why it's also one of the things that we are very ready to share. Have you been doing that for 20 years, the rolling with your eyes closed? When did you guys start doing that? Um, so, yeah, so we got introduced to grappling um, kind of early 2000s, around 2000, somewhere around there. And um, so, so to answer your question, um, actually, I'm sure you know what it's like. In your training career, there'll, there'll kind of be ebbs and flows of different aspects of the game that you focus on. So it's not like, geez, every week I'm rolling with my eyes closed. But it was something that early on we were exposed to and then... Um, yeah, so I would say at different times I'd focus on it more or would play a bigger part. But I mean, as far as just looking to uh, convey or teach someone like a, a good concept, geez, that's one of my fallbacks because I know it just it has so much value to it. What do you think that the benefits that you get when you when you uh, do your like f- sort of flow rolling, right? You were saying we're not we're not trying to win here, right? We're going like sixty percent max. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to changing the position, eyes closed. What do you think like the benefits of that specific drill is? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so first things first, so the main objective, right, is to grapple blind, to grapple with your eyes closed. So there are a couple of other little markers or details that you get added onto that just to create the parameters so the guys understand what's going to help them the most, such as, so remember, the main thing is eyes closed. And then on top of that, you also tack on, okay, only breathe through your nose. So that will just kind of right. limit kind of exertion, which is super important for the drill. Um, and then also just uh, to uh, specify and say, look, just as you grapple, just limit it to 50 or 60% of your speed and strength. So those things just kind of help keep it on that track. So um, which just keep the main focus being like, okay, eyes closed. And, and to answer your question, what's the biggest benefit? Um, so probably two things. So one is sensitivity. So when you can't see with your eyes instantly, you're looking for some kind of you're looking for some kind of a, a stimulus to give you information with which to kind of process and make decisions. So when your eyes are closed, you're instantly left with just like feel. So you're now just trying to feel. And so because you're trying to kind of assess what's going on, you're far more sensitive to what's happening with your balance and your partner's balance. So that's the primary benefit. And then um, second after that, I would say is also just having the time to think. Because you'll be amazed that obviously because you're forced to go slower because you can't see. Like you have to go a little bit more gingerly and you just have to suss out what's happening. And because of that, you're actually able to like process and to think. And oh, it's like amazing. So there's all those benefits. But 
geez, it's almost it's almost like therapeutic as well. So it's just like pleasurable. Well, there's something to be said about like reducing the amount of stimulus that you have. So if you close your eyes, you're reducing all the visual stimulus that you have. Yeah. That it kind of does allow your brain to go into another place. Where it's like if you're constantly under, yeah, yeah, everything's yeah, happening, sure. your eyes are darting, you're constantly looking around. You are taking in so much stimulus that when you t shut that off, your brain and you'll start to get more of a tactile sensation. And yeah. It's really interesting because it does, you know, it's like a bit closer to a step toward meditation, right? You're closing yeah. your eyes and you're letting your thoughts flow a little bit more yeah, openly, yeah, yeah. not being so overwhelmed by stimulus. And when you reduce the the uh, work rate as well, so you're telling people to do not don't go super hard. So you're reducing the work rate, which is allowing you to flow a mm -hmm. little bit more. That's not the same yeah, tension yeah, exactly. that shuts down flow, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and it, so, I mean, as you say, uh, some guys, I think, kind of really resonate with the idea of it being quite meditative. Um, I think one of the things that's helpful is that uh, it really like enhances focus because as soon as you close your eyes now there's just one thing that you're having to divert all of your attention to the idea of Ooh, what's going on how do I move from A to B um, so I think yeah, it really enhances uh, focus effectively I think that's just one of the key things that it does also what I really liked about your lesson was that you know you you you, you started off speaking about how we were going to do like a focus on a concept and I loved your concept because your concept is the single most fundamental thing in grappling. And really, you could probably say in just martial arts in general, which is balance. Like how to mm -hmm. off-balance someone and how to maintain balance. And to the point where the drill with the eyes closes, you're trying to feel. And you were you're doing very – like you're, you're sat up in the closed guard and you're doing very subtle weight shifts. I mean, like you're barely moving, right? You're just like a millimeter or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the – the uh, point of the drill was when you f when your eyes are closed and you're loose, you can really feel that. And once you feel that and you kind of sense it, it really does help with understanding the most what I think is the most fundamental concept, which is mm. balance. I mean, if you're striking, if you're doing Muay Thai and boxing, everything is dependent on you having balance. As soon as you're off balance, that's where everything bad happens. And it's true mm -hmm. for for grappling as well. And just take the time to sit there and focus on such a primal and important fundamental concept I thought was just genius and really taking the time to be like let's try and understand this we're not going to go and drill a bunch of moves do this first and then we'll expand outward yeah um yeah and uh, so the the motivation uh, behind that Luke I mean one of the reasons that really incentivizes me with that is so one of the things that I've just kind of like learned obviously doing jiu-jitsu for a long time especially when it comes to seminars is that I mean effectively so the truth of the matter is as, as far as a sport or a combat sport or martial arts goes, such as jiu-jitsu, like a part of it is that you just need to, sometimes you just need to be told what to do. Sometimes that's it. You've just got to learn parrot fashion, do one, two, three, and four, right? Which is fine. I, I think that's part of learning. Whether you're learning a language or learning some new skill, like aspects of it are just have to be learned by rote. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. However, I think that the danger is, especially with seminars, is that... There's so much information coming at you, and I think what most uh, jiu-jitsu players can identify with, or most students can identify with, is you get shown a technique, and literally in a week, it's completely gone. Forget even a week. Yeah. Two days later, it's gone. You've forgotten. Totally. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And I think yeah. one of the reasons why you forget is because, let's say an instructor comes from some remote country or something or somewhere where the style or the type or the focus of grappling is so different from your countries or your specific clubs that now to try to relate to the specific technique that they're teaching it might not have as much immediate relevance and it might just feel foreign and i think that's one of the aspects when a student when it's difficult to relate to a student that it's hard to retain it to kind of uh, uh, to kind of uh, remember it 
So hence why, um, yeah, when it comes to something like balance, I mean, that's, it's so generic. And so, uh, again, like, so my motivation is one, um, I, I like to work with that because I feel that uh, there's going to be a better retention. And then two, I just think it's like an excellent way to help people make jujitsu their own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes like you get shown a technique and cool, it might work. And, but uh, yeah, one of the things about that uh, balance and sensitivity, I just feel like it's one of the keys to actually help people feel like, oh, wait, cool, I can do it. Like, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, cool, I, I can do jujitsu. I, I understand. So I feel like uh, it's also one of the things that uh, I really try to empower students with because... I think one of the I think one of the traps of jujitsu is that students feel like, oh, if I haven't been quote unquote shown a specific technique in a specific place, they they almost feel debilitated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They feel like, oh no, wait, but I haven't haven't been shown by, you know, the uh, like some hardcore uh, instructor or athlete or whatnot, and that's fine. There's I mean, there's value in that, but the idea that just for people to relate and be like, oh, wait, hang on, I can understand what makes something good or makes something bad, and then I just feel like it's just an excellent learning tool. Yeah, and I mean, and you, you nailed all the, the, the concepts of just like shifting your weight, even when you, uh, and you translated that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were doing the thing where, where we were practicing the balance, when you started to teach your S-mount armbar, you were using very similar language as you're like, okay, we're going to put the weight on this knee here so that we can straight leg and curl, and as we have to shift the weight to the base leg so that we can curl the front leg, and then we bring our weight forward and we set right on top of them balance right on the chest so you you taught the 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 concept with very very basics and then you applied it to like a, a high percentage move right like a yeah. s-mount arm bar touching on the things that you said so i mean in terms of teaching it was just it was excellent right cool. really awesome. easy to retain stuff like that thanks man yeah thanks yeah and one of my hopes was because i mean the truth of the matter is is that the technique that I showed, I mean, it's not a novel technique. It's not like, okay, wow, this is the first time people have seen that S-mount armbar. But kind of my goal behind it was I wanted to show that, okay, look, let's take this base principle. As we go through the S-mount armbar, I'm going to look to try and illustrate where and how we're going to um, employ and just uh, apply this concept with the idea of being like, okay, great. If you take this concept of like, uh, great balance and using your weight really well and being tight here's an example of how you can kind of turn a technique into like a quote-unquote super technique mm -hmm. so then my my hope is that oh that that would perhaps like kind of spark or uh, stir some guys in interest to be like wow i wonder i wonder how tight i could make some other techniques or other aspects of my game by just kind of using those that underlying principle so that was kind of the thought behind uh, behind it yeah man it was, it was really really good and i loved all the details you know it was very detail oriented but Okay, so let me ask you this. What, where do you balance like uh, the amount of fun that should be kind of accepted for a, a training routine and then the amount of like discipline and getting your reps in and kind of like taking it a little bit more seriously? Because what I like that you did is you do a very vigorous warm-up that drove my guys crazy because they're lazy and they skip the warm-ups. You know how, <laughs> yeah, you know so, how white so. belts and blue belts are, dude? You know how they are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always trying to skip the warm-up. So they were whining about that, which I thought was hilarious, right? <laughs> but so that felt regimented, and we all got a nice vigorous sweat because you're a, a proponent of a, of a vigorous warm-up, uh, which I am too, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not strict enough with it because I'm just like, oh, that time I could be spent doing, you know, doing something else or whatever. But then, you know, you still – you had people jump on each other's back and ride each other around like horses and, sh and shit, and everybody loved it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody sure. loved it. So there were elements of where it was like sit and talk and, and – and, and, uh, examine sort of technique yeah. with the vigorous warm-up and then you still even made time for like games and stuff 
Yeah. So like, what, what, how much of that do you put, put into it, right? Like, uh, yeah, so really good question, um, Luke. So uh, yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. Um, so one of the things that, and so keep in mind, different instructors or different practitioners of jujitsu will kind of look to highlight different elements in like a lesson or a seminar. So there is scope for variety. But to touch on those points, the aspect of one structure or discipline, and then let's say fun, right? Yeah. So the first thing is that, so I feel that pretty much any activity needs structure, right? It needs, it needs a format, it needs a beginning, it needs an end, it needs, there has to be kind of a process and a template. So for me, that's, I mean, that, that's a non-negotiable. And I find that that also just kind of creates the template and the parameters by which you can kind of structure to accomplish a goal for what it is you're doing. Um, but actually, I mean, so also just to give you another insight, one of the reasons why I'm just quite regimented about warm-ups specifically is actually just because what I found in my training career with jiu-jitsu is that a lot of injuries come about because people don't warm up properly. For sure. And Especially as you get older, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, what I found is that exactly that. I mean, geez, I'm rapidly approaching 40 mm. and um, I found that... Uh, a, a hearty, robust warm-up is actually a non-negotiable. Mm. And uh, one of the other things is I find that it also puts me into like a good kind of mental state where I feel like, oh, okay, now it's time to work. Do you know what I mean? It's Because otherwise, sometimes I feel like if I get to the club and I go through a, a wishy-washy uh, warm-up and then I feel like, you know what, uh, I just feel like I don't really engage or kind of like get properly into the grapple. But when I do a proper warm-up as well, then I know, great, I've, I've been responsible. I've kind of I've warmed up my body. I've activated... Uh, certain muscles and muscle groupings and now I feel like cool I can really focus on the actual training and not think oh flip you know what my hamstrings feel a bit tight or my back's a bit sore and so yeah so I mean necessity is one of the kind of the driving factors there um, and then I, I also think because at our school back in Cape Town so the warm-ups also like a key aspect and I, I, I just do that from like a, a student's kind of student enjoyment but also like a business uh, perspective because the fact of the matter is I want people to enjoy themselves and I want them to keep coming and one of the ways they need to keep coming is by being healthy and fit so whether they like it or not sorry you're coming to the warm-up <laughs> and actually so what happens if you get guys to show up like 10 oh, minutes late I know man. you get uh, jujitsu is full of these people I know you get them bro yeah yeah and the, so geez I'll tell you what Luke the, make those, them do it on the side what man happens? those those guys they they actually like geez they probably think I'm a bit like Hitler because I, I'm so regimented when it comes to the warm-up that and so our club i mean we are kind of we are a moderate uh, we're a fairly small club at the moment so we're about 90 students so what that means is there's still quite a lot of personal involvement from me with um uh, practically every student so the thing is i'm very on top of all oh, people coming late to class so if or when i've noticed people have had a tendency to come late to class i address it with them directly i say oh, listen cool I understand, but I need you to be here on time before class because it's kind of, that's actually one of the non-negotiables is that like, actually class starts at X. I want you here before so we can start together. So that's just one of the aspects of discipline where I think also it goes a long way to the, the business element too, which maybe we'll jump into later because I do think that, that there's kind of a, obviously, you know, one of the best things about jujitsu is that it's, it's quite relaxed. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's, it's different to other martial arts. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, I won't get lost on that rabbit hole yet. 
So we can come back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. <laughs> so anyway, so the the disciplined, almost kind of regimental approach for me is so you let him in, or you tell him to go home if they're like super late. Uh, yeah, no. So ah, uh, jeez, I, I you haven't. Let him in. You talk to him. Later. I haven't yet told anyone to go home. I, I was very close with a couple of students, and especially so they actually came from a different country, so they had a completely different mentality. Yeah. Also, they were quite good as well, and I think also that once there's a certain degree of like competence. I think some students kind of feel like, oh, you know, I'm above it or I'm above some of like the routines. And I was just oh, like, yeah. whoa. Oh. And I was like, listen, guys. I said, and I had to chat them a few times. I was like, here's the deal. I was like, you be here at this time because of X. And obviously I inquired and I was just making sure it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something whereby like they couldn't be there on time. So I was like, okay, is it possible for them to be there? And I said, and that's like a non-negotiable. And I kind of, I gave them the line. I was like, look, and if you don't, then that's it. You uh, if you don't make it, then you don't come to class after we've spoken about it. So, um, yeah, and I, I think it's quite helpful too for um, the students. Also, just to feel, and keep in mind, a, and a lot of... respecting your instructor's time, like, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah, because, sure. Uh, you know, yeah, you yeah. have a group of people there that are there trying to train and you're showing up late and stuff. It's, you know, certainly not ideal to say the least, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know how much of this is kind of like specific to the South African culture, but... I also think for like the, the consumer, so again, I, I, I often think about like jujitsu and running an academy. I think about it from a business point of view, mm -hmm. especially for, for the layman, right? The person that hasn't yet kind of fully bought into or is still kind of getting into the jujitsu lifestyle. I think there's something so powerful about them knowing, oh, wait, hang on. There's a plan. There's a system. And there's, a, you know what I mean? Like, I just need to get on board. And part of that is being there on time. And I feel like that gives like, especially like your beginner, people checking stuff out. I feel like that gives them so much confidence to be like, okay, wait, hang on. Somebody's got a plan. There's a system here. Yeah. I can just rock up and relax. And I also think it's one of the reasons why the traditional martial arts, which don't incorporate, um, which don't incorporate so much of like the actual live sparring, which is one of the reasons why we all love jujitsu yeah. and why we find it so effective. But I think that's one of the reasons why those traditional martial arts have continued to just fare so well as businesses. It's because they are they're regimented. Especially you know I mean? the kids' martial martial arts, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why exactly. you see stuff like Taekwondo that still kills it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. In my, in my exactly. brain, I'm like, why wouldn't people just do like better, better martial arts? <laughs> Something more effective, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm not shooting on you, Taekwondo. You're all right, but you're limited in your in your application, right? But it's because some parents really like that regimented thing where they yeah. come in, they do the hundred kicks, they do. When I went to China to do some PJ seminars when I was working at my previous job, those like Taekwondo instructors were borderline like aggressive to the kids, yeah. right? Yeah. Literally, like as soon as a kid would like slightly lose attention, they're like, hey! <laughs> and the kids like snap up, like they're really fierce <laughs> with it, man, like in China and stuff. And then I was like, oh man, my kids can't even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, uh, your kids are. <laughs> you know, but especially from down. like the, the kids' side, because I'm thinking of it also yeah. from a business lens, particularly with kids, yeah. because that's why a lot of. I feel like even like my clients prefer to send their kids to the, the, the gi, for example, as opposed sure. to MMA. Because yeah, they yeah. wear the belt, they get 100%. the ranks, they see them. 100%. It's a little bit more yeah. structured. Yeah, right? yeah. And I keep more structure actually in the BJJ kids class than I do the MMA class probably because of that. So yeah, yeah so what's your, yeah. what's your take on that? I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, yeah, so geez, I think you hit the nail on the head there just with the idea that, uh, so I mean, uh, again, if we just look at kids for the moment, is that... So what's going to keep uh, the child happy kind of training in the gym is going to be a couple of things. But I mean, like the, like a pro or the primary decision maker is the parent, right? Yeah. What the parent wants to know is, okay, great. There's an actual product here. Someone's put thought into it. There's a specific way that it works. I think it just, I think it just builds such confidence, mm -hmm. such confidence in the parent to be like, oh, wait, actually, hang on. There's a system, there's markers, there's plans, there's aspects built into this. And so, as you say, 
and I think that's one of the amazing things about uh, jujitsu is that there's so much of that which just is naturally part of it. Exactly. The suit, the belt, the stripes, the gradings. The, I mean, that does half the work already. Yeah. When people know structure's that... structure's built into it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So when people know, oh, hang on. Okay, my little Johnny, oh, he's going to love the next belt. And, um, and there's also something, I mean, pretty effective about once somebody, I mean, whether adult or child, once somebody puts on a gi... I mean, they feel like, cool, that, I'm in it now. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Now no, that's it. I'm, I'm proper in. I'm committed. I'm good to go. So I think there's some psychological things there. Because weird when you wear it the first time. I came, Jeez, from, I came from being a wrestler, so I was used to wearing that skinny fucking spandex, right? <laughs> right? That, that little singlet. And then for, for whatever reason, that was fine. But somehow a gi was like, I felt really cringy. I was like, what am I, the karate kid or something? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. I mean? Wearing a gi the first time. Yeah, actually, me too. So I started I started no gi. So that was kind of my, my introduction to the sport. And then uh, I popped over to London and I actually went to uh, Hodger Gracie's Academy. And that was my first exposure to the gi. Jeez, it was difficult. So... I mean, and strangled in that thing, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, and you, it wasn't even it wasn't even the strangling. It was just like it was just like the heat and how yeah. cumbersome it was. That was the thing where I've just felt so comfortable just being able to move quickly and naturally and just being like athletic. And then there was this, you know, there was almost like this. Jeez, uh, you felt like this parachute on me when I was moving around and just the heat. Uh, anyway, so it was yeah, it was it was a hardcore adjustment the first time. So I'm curious, what, what was uh, I mean? You must be one of the first like South African black belts, right? I mean, how many? Like, are there? Uh, you know what? There now, must be a few now, but I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think if we kind of just dial the clock back, uh, not too far, maybe like five or ten years. Um, yeah. So I'm probably one of a handful of like, like the initial first kind of black belts. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, thing. exactly. So, but remember, even before. So the thing is, uh, if we look at uh, the sport in a little bit more of a, an organic manner. So my brother and I, geez, we were really, we were really. Um, we were really part of like the tip of the spear of like the sport breaking out into South Africa. But that's, but back then it was actually, uh, it was Nogi. So we just did grappling, like Nogi grappling. So Nogi took off there before Gi Yes. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was the, that was the first aspect of jiu-jitsu and grappling that began to emerge was actually just Nogi. Was that because it was culturally more stemming from like MMA or... You know, because usually uh, like Cape Town, like any of these cities, like a couple of Brazilians start rolling up after a while yeah. and then everybody's wearing the gi, right? I mean, uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, that's quite an insightful question, actually. And I think uh, I think one, yes, because of the direct correlation with MMA, I think that was uh, right after the initial UFCs were beginning to kind of take off. So there was that idea of like, oh, what's this cool new thing grappling? Plus, keep in mind that. I mean, South Africa is a third world country, right? So what that what that means is this very little incentive. Well, there was was slash is very little incentive for people from other third world countries to fly to South Africa because right. there's no financial incentive. So right. there wasn't now that immediate kind of injection of like, uh, you know, traditional, exactly or... traditional jujitsu from the Brazilians that are now wanting to kind of, they've got this opportunity. So I think that also kind of gave a little bit more time and space for the Nogi aspect to first kind of, uh, blossom onto the scene. Interesting. So when you started, were, I mean, you were mostly, fo what was the scene like of jujitsu in the 2000s? I mean, you, you mentioned it to me, and I've brought it up on this podcast many times that like the culture of training jiu-jitsu has just rapidly changed so much over the last 10, 15 years. I started in 2005. That was when I started jiu-jitsu. Okay, nice. And I, but I started off wrestling for a couple of years before that. Yeah, and awesome. When I was like 16, I, I had a friend who put me in a triangle, and I was like, what the fuck is that? I'm on top. How am I, how am I losing when I'm on top of you? Like, I took him down or whatever because I wrestled. And he was yeah. like, oh, I'm doing this jiu-jitsu thing. And then he put me in a triangle, and he didn't tap me or anything with it, but I couldn't get out. And so I just sat there for like minutes and I knew that like, this is dangerous and weird. Like I didn't totally understand the threat of it, but I was stuck and I, I couldn't get out. 
So I went to yeah. go and try it. But back in those days, people didn't know what they were doing. It was yeah. just, you know, people were because they don't know what they're doing. So they're basically just like watching a few videos, going in there and going crazy. They don't know how someone teaching them to like yeah. relax and control and good efficient techniques. So I'm curious what it was like in South Africa around yeah. that time. Yeah, geez, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty raw and wild. Yeah. So. I mean, because the first thing was, so my brother and I, we got exposed to grappling. It was like a, it was a martial arts club called Kyokan. I mean, that was the name of it. And so they focused predominantly on grappling, but they, they also did a bit of a pancrase. So kind of like, you know, uh, so uh, an element of MMA. It wasn't full on MMA. Um, so that was our initial exposure. Uh, that was our initial exposure. And admittedly, the guy that taught us at the time, he, he was... He, he was light years ahead of his time. I mean, even some of the stuff really? that he taught us then, still to this day, I use and I do, and it's, it's, I find it so effective. So, you know what, I, I, to, truth be told, I don't actually know how he was so insightful, but anyway, so this dude in the middle of, uh, or somewhere in the bottom tip of Africa, he was really just um, a very insightful grappler. So that was our first kind of initial exposure, right? So it wasn't as though we got introduced by grappling by the two of us just finding a VHS. So we actually had somebody teaching us. However, even that, even being taught by someone back then was very, dif very different to what it is today. I think one of the benefits of today is that there's so many more systems and consumerism that's gone into it that now people have understood that, okay, jujitsu needs to be packaged and broken down for a consumer because it's very hard. Yeah. And so they need to be facilitated through an onboarding process. Back then, geez, it was like, oh, cool, you want to do jiu-jitsu? Okay, cool, come try out a class. And then it was madness. War. It, was, it, it was literally yeah. like, okay, cool, you look pretty big, so okay, go get under that guy and I'll escape from the mount. Yeah. And it, it, so it was brutal. And every role was a war. Like, oh. There's no like flow roles. There's like yeah, back yeah. in those days, there was none of that. Every round was like war. Yeah. You were yeah. always trying to win every second. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much with anybody that yeah, correct, was around correct. your size, right? Yeah, yeah. Some people that probably weren't your size and you still, you know what I mean? Unfortunately for those people that I rolled with in my white belt days, but yeah, yeah. So you're, you're totally nailing that, though. Did uh, so you guys back in those days, you were just going in there, and yeah, so you know, killing so, each other, so yeah, so kind of the hard way, yeah. So so there were two aspects. So one kind of our exposure to it was very hard, just because it was so new and raw that there hadn't been there hadn't been the timeline or the process yet for either a businessman or a club owner to really kind of be like, oh, how do I refine this? How do I make it easier for someone now? Um, and I think that that was an initial massive barrier for entry. But I think that actually, because I think for my brother and I and probably grapplers of that era, I think that kind of like having that hard hurdle to first get through, also like, I think there was just like a great kind of like internal attributes kind of like refinement process. So although it might've taken us a while Toughen to- Exactly, right? I mean, exactly. And I, and I find, gee, and you know what, one of the things I found in Jits is that, yeah, amazing techniques are amazing, but if you've got like a tough guy, that's like 60% of the battle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes you're trying to submit someone, you're doing the, te the technique right, and if the, the dude's just a hard guy or a tough guy, yeah. geez, it's, it's, sometimes it's like ridiculously. Oh yeah, it's, it's exhausting, right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's like insane. It's like, oh, what the flip it. Anyway, so I think, that, I think that because it hadn't been so kind of commercialized yet, like that was kind of baked into us just by the necessity now of just kind of persisting and continuing with the sport. So that was one thing of how it was very different to today. And then, Another aspect was, so cool, we got into the sport and then 
I mean, we, yeah, so we were pretty, I mean, we loved it. We loved grappling. And so one of the things that we got exposed to pretty early on was actually a whole bunch of uh, uh, leg and foot, leg and foot attacks. Mm. So we would love heel hooks, knee bars, toe holds. I mean, we would go nuts. And the thing was, so we were pretty young and we would go, geez, we would go absolutely mad. You're not so, like catch and release, slow, steady pressure dude, on the, dude, the inside heel hook that the guy's spinning the wrong way into. You know right? what? And so keep in mind, I mean, I was exposed to grappling when I was still quite young, living at home with my parents. Sure. I'm so surprised that I never had any of my any of my friends' parents banging on our door being like, oh, we need to talk to your parents because I would invite my friends who have done no grappling to like a <laughs> grappling session at some weird little mat space. And we would just, we would rip on heel hooks, toe holds, etc. And I know that the guys got injured. Yeah. And I, I think now, and I'm like, geez, like, what were we doing? But also because you're young, you know what I mean? Oh, it's, too, it's fun. Let me show you this thing. And geez, it was, it was absolutely mad. So it was very raw in that, in that respect. Um, Dude, obviously. That's, that's how it was in those days, man. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have anybody trying to like bring you down and calm you down and teach you that like yeah, yeah, the exactly. initial phases of learning it's better to go slower and more correct and then you build speed over time if you don't have a, a, a hand on you trying to keep that then you're just gonna go and yeah, rip shit right like rip yeah, stuff yeah. it's like, like oh, what'd you learn from like the guy in a probably YouTube video or maybe not YouTube back then but do you yeah, have DVDs VHS VHS yeah, DVDs yeah. whatever yeah uh, yeah so that was also part of kind of the learning aspect was oh somebody would have yeah so i think there were one or two tapes but that was probably the time when vhs was kind of phasing out but yes like part of it was oh wow this guy's got like a tape of some catch wrestlers showing a couple of moves and then yeah. <laughs> you'd pass it around from this person would then and then rob would borrow it or whomever and then so that was a big aspect of it so it was it was it was so it was very very raw you know what I mean? it was kind of like I think you're the like, frontier of jujitsu yeah. in in south africa right i mean you definitely yeah, yeah. been one of the early that's so interesting man everybody's got stories like that i find it fascinating how the training modalities have changed so much mm -hmm. in such a good way i hadn't actually thought of it from like the commercial lens that you had you'd brought to it because it makes total sense that as you try to sell this product to a larger scale audience you yeah, need to sure. have tactics to sort of make it more uh, yeah. amenable right for mm -hmm. me it was actually the culture change uh culture change of coming to asia like when i first started i came from a wrestling back background wrestling is brutal mm, you're yeah not, awesome, you're, you're, awesome. you're trying to win every second yeah, of every yeah, you only have two minutes to work with there's yeah. no chill out or whatever and then when i switched to jiu-jitsu when i was a white belt and a blue belt i took that same mentality to it and when I started doing kickboxing, the first round I ever did was with a coach. He dropped me with a knee to the body. All of these things were like fights, right? Yeah, yeah. It was always, I just thought that's how it was. And I used to get anxiety about training, like stress. Yeah. I'd be like sitting in the car about to go <laughs> into the gym. And I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Right, I'm having that, that conversation with the inner bitch, right? On, right in front of the gym. Yeah. And I'd be like, why is it like that? Because I love it. I go home and I think about it all the time. But I was afraid of the training, right? Yeah. And then when I came to Asia and I started training with Thais. Like Thais have amazing skills. They don't do that. They're not trying to kill each other. Like I, I learned to extrapolate like the lightness that you get when, when, uh, you, got it, got when it. you spar with ties who are just trying to touch you. Yeah. They're so efficient. They're so technical. Like they're tripping you. They're catching everything that you have. They're popping you and moving away. And they're not like broing down, right? Yeah, yeah, when yeah, I was sparring, sure. kickboxing, people were like, they're like little fights. You know, they're controlling a little bit to the head, but they will drop you any chance that they get. The ties are like, oh, they're playing with you. They're smiling. They're slapping around. And then I started to think like, oh, it, training doesn't need to be like that. Mm. Because even with the Brazilians, and this is why I was going to ask you about that, like training with Brazilians is brutal too, man. Yeah. Like they, they, they do s slow train a lot because they do a lot of volume training. Sure. But like if you're in that kind of c competitive Brazilian scene, man, do they train hard. Yeah. They train yeah, yeah, yeah. hard. Yeah, and when you sure. see all of that, 
you just kind of adopt that. But then I started training with people who had different methods where they would like slow, like Rob Deagle is like that. Mm. He's amazing. And uh, he was yeah. at the leg lock seminar today. Yeah, yeah, super impressed. He just flows. And you look up all of his videos on Instagram. He's just like chaining stuff together, slow yeah. drilling, and has tremendous success with that. And then seeing some yeah. guys like stop sparring altogether after a while, right? They just do the pad work. They do the flow yeah. rounds. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to see how it's changed, but it was barbaric mm. back in those days, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, geez, it was, uh, yeah, agreed. So it was, it was pretty rough. Um, yeah, I actually really enjoyed uh, Rob at the class today. Actually, uh, I really enjoyed his uh, teaching style too. So oh, I was really impressed. I felt like just how he communicated. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it and took a lot from it. The just, Sunday crew is nice, right? Yeah, that was cool. And also I felt um, one thing I enjoyed was, uh, and we mentioned this the other day, uh, I felt that uh, the overall kind of sentiment or the culture or the atmosphere was really good. So I felt that that was very conducive to, uh, as you say, like a blend of cool wanting to train hard, but knowing that oh guys aren't uh, um, guys aren't in the gym with that anxiety of being like oh okay hang on we we work on leg locks we work on heel looks am I going to get out of this okay so I think that's yeah so I think that was nicely done I, uh, that was something that I could sense and pick up was like okay great there's uh, there's an emphasis on legs and feet and heel hook attacks but I could see that there was like a very clear outspoken. Uh, atmosphere and tone in the gym to be like there's a particular way we do this and I think oh, I just think it's like so yeah I, I think that's like uh, a pristine way of kind of creating a format for uh, like I mean obviously competitors and people to uh, flourish in the sport so yeah actually well done to you guys I really do think that was nice no, I really try to avoid the injuries at all costs man man when my students get injured it oh, makes me like worst. physically ill right yeah. I literally yeah, yeah, yeah. get like that nauseous like if I hear like ah in the back, oh, or it's I hear the worst. a sound. I know it's the I, worst. Like the dread boils yeah, yeah, yeah. up, and 100%. I'm just like, oh god, man, it fucking sucks so yeah. bad, right? Yeah, yeah. So I really put a ton of emphasis on the control and everything like that. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, what's your opinion on rest rounds? You get the you get the guys maybe they get a little tired, maybe they're a little out of shape, keep trying to take rounds off, you know? Because my policy is like you can rest when you want, like. Okay. You know, I kind of yeah. generally people are going to put the work in. They're there already. Yeah, right? sure, so, sure. So my general rule is like, you know, roll hard. You should roll tired sometimes too, but if you need a break, okay. you can take a break. What yeah. do you, what's your policy on that? Uh, see yeah. you guys sitting there just watching while everybody rolls. They're like, come on, guys, afterward, let's go. I'm ready now. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so I think what I do is, so with beginners, especially people, because so how it's probably this, you've probably got the same thing here. So we do uh, trials, right? Free trials when someone wants to check out the sports. So obviously then to somebody that's just kind of initially exposed, that's a, a, so I will preface and say, look, you're going to be exposed to something completely new. The fitness is going to be brutal. Rest any time that you want. So just to kind of help them with that. So with complete beginners and newbies, I kind of I treat them with, you know, baby gloves on. So Some I really, might struggle with your warm-up. Daniel, uh, Daniel struggled with your warm-up. <laughs> He's a purple belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, so even with the warm-up, I tell them, yeah, let's just only manage what you can. So, yeah. and, uh, and that's fair too. Do you know what I mean? That's fair. It's like people need time to adjust. They need time to pull up the fitness. And again, and I, geez, probably people will get sick of me saying this. I think like that's such an important like business aspect is that you can't scare someone away. You know what I mean? Like they need to have like a good, positive, pleasant experience. And the fact is it's only one in 20 people that if you get them there and you're like, no, listen, no questions asked, go through it, do it, do it. And they'll be exhausted, but they'll like it. Yeah. That's the one in 20. You can't build a business like that. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so uh, I'll kind of like assess that person by person. If someone's coming back from an injury or, you know, there's some kind of specific reason where I can understand that, okay, there's a reason why he's resting. But no, for the most part, kind of the culture I'm trying to drive at um, at our club in Cape Town is, um, yeah, so I, I probably like shy away from restaurants in general. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind that we also run classes. Uh, the majority of our classes are only an hour so in that time, with a robust warm-up and uh, some kind of a skill activity and a technique, it's not that much grappling. A couple of rolls. Yeah, exactly. A couple of rolls. Couple of rolls and then we've got a couple of other slots in the week where now, okay, if you just want to grapple, come to that. Yeah, like sparring class or whatever. Like yeah, yeah, know. exactly. And at the, I mean, in those classes, it's fine. You know what I mean? In those classes, I don't mind if there are a couple of guys that have a rest because I know they're really, you know what I mean, gunning it and kind of giving it horns. So yeah, in that, uh, so I'd say like just person-specific and kind of... Uh, situation specific too that i'll kind of like weigh it up what about for something like uh like like competitions are you are you a big pusher into people going and like trying to you, you did some competitions yourself back yeah, in yeah, yeah 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 i used to compete uh, quite a lot um so it's also one of the aspects that i uh, it's one of the aspects yeah that I, I love about it because i feel that my exposure to competition also helped me quickly realize that wait hang on i'm only going to do stuff in jiu-jitsu that works in a competition Yep. because high percentage exactly yeah yeah yeah. because that was also like a, a massive kind of culling or refining tool was i would practice x y and z in the gym and then i got to a competition where some dude was so souped up on adrenaline that i was trying x and it just didn't work and i was like why would i ever do that so that was very uh that was very formative for me and kind of my style of grappling so uh yeah even though i haven't competed in a while that's it's still kind of my basis i still would only uh, I still only kind of focus on the aspects of jiu-jitsu that I know that I would use uh, if or when competing. Um, and then to answer your question, yeah, so it's definitely something I encourage. So again, I know the thing is that, so my, my kind of background getting into jiu-jitsu was I, I competed, well, you know, it's when I say semi-professionally, I'm talking about semi-professionally back in early mid-2000s, which people will laugh at today. So professionals now do more fights in a year than or more competitions in a year than I did and however many then but um so it's definitely something I encourage a lot of people to do in our gym but I also understand I can't be too heavy-handed because a lot of people that come literally they're just not there for competition they have no interest at all exactly yeah, yeah. and and there's no actual benefit to me pushing them over the line sure yeah. I mean I, I encourage yeah and I encourage I'm like look you know it's going to be amazing you can get this benefit but I know I, I can't I can't force that that's the thing that I understand is that there has to be kind of like there has to be a buy-in from the person and I can incentivize and encourage but the choice is always up to them because if not oh I think it just does more harm than good yeah and it really is like approaching it from that business perspective is always interesting because you really just have to have strategies for like keeping people coming right keeping yeah. people going into the gym and uh so I also wanted to touch on this because today Sunday is usually like our, our leg lock class right like you know you get these like these Danaher wannabe kids who come in there and they see Gordon Ryan like inside here looking at everybody and Eddie Cummings back when he was doing it. And Rob is actually a Danaher. He's a black belt now under someone else, but I think he got his brown all the way up to brown. Oh, from, nice. From Danaher, which is why his information on especially mm-hmm. like the inside heel hooks and stuff is so sophisticated. I wanted to get your take on like the evolution of jujitsu and over the last 15 years. I mean, man, has it been astounding. Yeah. It's been astounding in, in a few different ways. Lot, a lot of steroids. <laughs> lot, well, that, was, yeah, yeah. that is definitely true. Uh, but, I mean, you've seen a lot of the game develop, particularly over the last five to ten years. The mm-hmm. training modalities have changed. Yeah. And the evolution of some of these techniques, man, the, the systems yes. and the paths are getting so sophisticated yeah. and so high percentage. 
Yeah. And uh, I've done. I don't know if you've ever uh, gone through any of those like John Danaher instructionals or anything. Um, no, uh, I haven't. But I mean, I've been through some other uh, high-level uh, instructionals. But I mean, yeah. So I understand his approach is, you know, so methodical and extensive yeah. and exhaustive. I mean, I've, I've went through like three or four of them, and it is just on point. Everything yeah. he says, it's just the essentials are all there. Yeah. It's incredible. It's such a great, amazing resource. And he does the same sure. thing. He only teaches like high percentage stuff but when I watch this and you're probably looking at the best Nogi grappling coach in the world sure, you sure. watch him break stuff down I'm a huge fan of stuff like that I like to watch like Phil Jackson videos he's a, he was the uh, coach for the Lakers right okay. for Jordan and everything because yeah. he's universally considered to be a great coach and I love like watching stuff on like great coaches and yeah, what are their awesome. mentalities and how do they interact with their athletes yeah. and all this kind of stuff and you can just see that everything he says is just laser point mm. precise you know, used to used to be this trend on YouTube. I don't know if you remember these, but people would be like, "Here's 180 techniques in like nine minutes." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just sit there. Yeah, like just um, it. who's it? Uh, Jason Scully. Hey? Yes, yeah, yes, classic. his kind of things. And I used to watch that kind of stuff. And then I watched like a 35 minute long video on John Danaher talking about side control. <laughs> and I was like, he went to the nuclear level and yeah, found sure. little tiny things that had never occurred to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just so systematic now and the evolution yes, yeah. of all of some of these positions. Like I remember when the deep half became big. I remember yeah, for when like, sure, the 50-50 sure. started 50, coming yeah, along yeah. and people started barambolowing. And then now you see like these buggy chokes. Have you seen these? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah People yeah. are subbing each other from the bottom side control now. These rule tools yeah. are amazing. Yeah. Like uh, I did the – I judged for when Shinya Aoki uh, did a uh, match with – Cade Rulatulo and then Ty Rulatulo mm. competed against Gary Tonin. Yeah. And like, man, he was hitting, trying to hit buggy chokes from like the back, from yeah, this yeah, closed yeah. guard, from the bottom side control. Mm, mm, this, mm. Some of these kids are amazing. Like, what is it like yeah. from like what you started to like where it's at now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So Jesus, the sport's come a, a, a long way, obviously, to say the least. Uh, and actually, funny enough, one of the things that, so one of the things that I take most about when I think and when I stop and I look at kind of the evolution of the sport and where it's come from, or at least in a, a certain time frame, uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to try and just hold with an open hand to be like, okay, wait, but hang on. Because you know what it's like. There's the, the current apex of the sport, right? So we could probably say, cool, John Danaher, that is it. That's the, it's the top of the top. That is literally the, the cutting edge of the sport. At least Nogi. I mean, that, that's, what I would, uh, that's what I would say. But the fact is, it's not always going to be that. I, sure. I, it's not always going to be like that. I, I don't think so. I mean, the, the sport will continue to evolve, right? So I try and I think I think one of the I think one of the big shifts in uh, I think one of the big shifts in a student's mindset needs to be that there's not some kind of a pinnacle jujitsu that will always be the best forever. And I think that that's like a mindset that is very helpful for students to kind of uh, break out of, because. I suppose it kind of depends on what are your goals. So, i.e., do you want to compete or do you want to enjoy? Because you need, because I think that when you think about like developing a game for yourself, you need to try and kind of like plan for the next two or three or four years, right? And yeah. you need to try and factor in, okay, what are the current trends? What are my strengths? What are my attributes? What are my resources? So, I think you have to try and kind of factor in like the unknown and what the future evolutions will be and like what the future changes will be. Um, because I, I kind of think that the the biggest fallback to you know, the evolution of the sport is everyone thinks, wow, this is working now. That's the ultimate. And that, right. that's the only thing. And that's it. Caught up in the moment a little bit. Exactly. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. And cool. They have some success because I mean, there's certain aspects that, that make it right. But I think there needs to be like a bigger kind of more insightful understanding to be like, okay, wait, but hang on. But what's going to happen in the next five years? How do, 
how would I or how could I make myself the best possible grappler, but still with some openness or some kind of scope of ability to change. So, yeah, so obviously the sports change like crazy. I just think, uh, at least I think that's probably the most needful thing for just people to realize with an open hand that it's going to continue to evolve. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, and, every, and it's constantly changing now. And then the stuff that will work, like like a perfect example is, uh, did you see the Gary Tonin, Ton Lee fight? I don't know. He's, you know, uh, no, no, how I much do you I follow see like it. one? Are you familiar with it at all? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I'm quite familiar with it. Even? I mean, I love watching. So I don't follow in a current sense. So, I, I, um, so for instance, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the next uh, card is or when the next event is. But I mean, often I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube of the, the fights and not just the grappling fights. Jeez, they, anyway, I like the production. I think they've got some... Uh, just super entertaining so yeah i watch quite a bit of their stuff but i just don't stay uh, current with the 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 current and the up-and-coming kind of uh, uh events that they put on sure well the you know gary tonin of course you know you, you yeah, know gary yeah, yeah. tonin he was uh you know and he's comes from that new generation he's a, a john danaher uh student and you know he was fighting against uh tom lee who's the current champion he's fighting for the featherweight title got there real quick like was smashing everybody and then, you know, he went into one of his outside heel hook entries and what beat it was a good old punch right in the face. <laughs> Classic. Good old punch yeah. right in the face while he's trying to invert and roll onto this yeah, heel yeah, hook, yeah. right? So, listen, there's something to be said for uh, even something like changing it, the, the lens of focus from like a sport specific, like no mm, yeah, gi sure. specific, to like then trying to think what's the most effective no gi for MMA. Yeah, style thing. Like at my academy, I consider us to be an MMA gym, like number one, mm. right? So we have jujitsu and we have gi and we have no yeah, gi. Yeah. But the ultimate lens is like MMA. So I don't teach like barambolos. And I, I don't, yeah, yeah, even sure. in the gi, yeah. like, I just don't do that stuff because <clears throat> I don't, it doesn't work in MMA. Yeah. And I want to sure. teach all of the stuff that has the most appeal. So it works gi, it works no gi, yeah. it works MMA. Like, you know, sometimes I'll invert my guard and stuff like I'm not saying I don't ever do anything outside of that, but generally, I'm looking to teach those really high percentage basics, like even like Hodger yeah, Gracie, sure. right? Cron yeah. Gracie. These guys were able to win the world championships with the basics, yeah, right? And sure. that, that is always uh, universal and you can never really get away from that. But sure. it's quite interesting how you can just shift the lens from like sport gi, because the problem is I don't teach Barambola, but guess what? This guy who's a master of Barambola, guess what's going to happen when my guys meet him in competition? Probably going to get Barambola. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a wake-up call. Yeah, wake -up so call then, then you have to deal with that, right? Yeah. It's just this constant... Do you, want to, yeah. do you want to see the uh, case in point on the screen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is Check we're going to quickly watch the Tom Lee, Gary Tony. Throw it up big. I mean, he's throwing hellfire from his guard. He is trying to do everything possible, but. So just a couple of clicks of buttons. So I think we might show this. It's on YouTube. And uh, Tom Lee's fighting for the t uh, fighting again, defending his title in a few weeks. And look at that. He tries to go single X, and usually that foot going across the hip will s stop people from mm. punching, but. The outside heel hook is so tricky to finish. So if you're watching this right now, or, or if you're listening to this, we're, we're checking out no, the Gary Tone and, and Ton Lee finish. I mean, these are dangerous spots for Gary to be in too, but those down hammer fists, man. Oh! The issue is, right? Oh, That's oh. it. Finished. So you just didn't give up on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hands got to go to the leg to finish that. When two mm. hands are on the leg, your face That's is... It. Open yeah. for punishing. Oh, yeah, open for business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, you see the cutting edge and you just see it <laughs> shut down by a good old face punch. <laughs> yeah. by, by the ultimate original technique. Yes. <laughs> the ultimate yeah, for way sure. to drop the black belt down into <laughs> yeah. a brown belt and a purple belt. And, and you know what? Uh, maybe on a slightly different angle here. Um, you know, one of the... Th so, and again, so, I mean, so my my 
so my job is jujitsu, right? So I run a jujitsu academy. So our academy is like a, a exclusively a jujitsu slash grappling academy. Yeah. And I think so. Obviously, our, our stances might be different because obviously you've got because um, uh, I know you like to train MMA and the MMA holds a massive appeal for you. Um, but I think one of the things that is also I think it's just kind of like a uh, a bit of a, a mind shift for a lot of students and people that begin to buy into the sport and kind of begin to appreciate jujitsu and the the benefits and its effectiveness because so obviously we know a couple of reasons why jujitsu is so popular right one it's effective like it's phenomenally effective yeah early ufcs etc so on and so forth right and two it's fun like it's super cool it's fun people enjoy it and whatnot now I think that I think because of its effectiveness, right? I think that that gives it a particular edge, and especially once people are in it and they understand it and they know how effective it can be, I think that they, it kind of it can develop this mindset to think like, wow, actually, hang on, this this is the holy grail of martial arts, or this is the holy grail of combat sports, right? I feel like that can that mindset can kind of like develop. Mm-hmm. So I also think actually. Uh, and you know what it's like. It's like when you get into something, it's like amazing. Oh, you love all the new fighters and the newest move. And it, it becomes everything, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think like there's this mentality that develops where you think like, like that's it. It's like if I am X and if I am like the best heel hooker or I'm at the best in my game, I'm, I'm almost like invulnerable. I'm almost like, do you know what I mean? Like I'm the best of the best. I could beat anyone. And I, I just think like it's just so important to kind of like assess, you know, just like assess like those ideas and those kind of imaginations for, I mean, for instance, like, okay, Gary, Tony getting knocked out. But then I think about like, geez, I mean, then I also think about uh, Leandro Lowe, you know, like, I mean, yeah. how many times have we heard stories about, oh, this guy used jiu-jitsu to put down a street fight and hold yeah. the guy. And we all think, yeah, jiu-jitsu hero, jiu-jitsu forever. You know, and we think, oh, it's invincible. It'll beat everything. And then like a tragedy. Do you get some what I'm trying to say? Some guy's got exactly. a gun. Yeah, some guy's got a gun. Exactly. And not, yeah, so and that's worst case scenario. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? Somebody gets in a straight punch. And I just think that, I just think it's like a healthy thing that people understand jujitsu is amazing. And I love it, right? I mean, geez, few things I love as much. But that I think people need to understand that like it's not this golden bullet to life. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not some kind of an invulnerable magic sword that now nobody else has got and it's going to beat everything else. Cool. And it's an amazing thing. And it's super effective. But... It's not like this life-solving, life-defeating thing that now makes people invulnerable, which I think is kind of like a perception that can be generated quite early on when people get into it and they understand, wow, this is amazing. And then they see the high-level guys and how effective they are in winning competitions. Like, geez, like when I heard about that Leandro Lowe thing, geez, like it actually like I was like, it actually made me have to think like, oh, hang on, because that was also my mentality. Because like when I think like the combination of, oh, jiu-jitsu, Plus a world-class level fighter who has like that internal, like the mental and heart kind of grit. And it, you would think like, geez, that guy could probably, do you know what I mean, come out on top in like any situation. So it was actually a reality check for me. And I had to be like, oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? I had to be like, whoa, okay. You know what I mean? That just made me kind of assess like, oh, hang on. How have I been thinking? Or, or what have been some of the, the thoughts that I've just carried around yeah. um, about jiu-jitsu? So, yeah, I just think it's helpful. And I mean, so obviously uh, reality shows us that it's not that, but it's, I think it's just helpful for people to kind of hold that intention. Well, that's interesting. It can give you like a, a little bit of a false sense of security sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's- because the reality is like in any self-defense, and I teach this to kids. We've had women come in for self-defense seminars and stuff like that. I always teach the number one thing in any self-defense situation is de-escalation right away. It is not to like, oh, I'm going to take your back or I'm going to like throw a punch. That is insane. That is insane. If you start to yeah, feel yeah. that situation come out, 
and you, it even starts to have even the slightest threat of like getting physical, you need to de-escalate that thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you're in your head, you're like, oh, "Fuck this dude!" I'll, you know, if it, if anything goes south, I can go in, I can take him down. And I think in that story, I, I heard that Leandro Lowe was like holding him down or something, mm -hmm. right? Sh like, you know, probably talking shit. He got he got on top, took him down or whatever, embarrassed him in front of yeah, like exactly. yeah, the probably, whole club. Yeah. And then the guy was like, "Fuck you!" And he went and got his gun, right? Mm. Because just the yeah, shame yeah. of all the way, because yeah, yeah, he yeah. probably thought I can just deal with this situation. Yeah, it might have sure. been a little bit of, like when the reality is he may not have fully assessed the danger. Well, he certainly didn't fully yeah. assess the danger that he's in. But like when stuff with strangers out on the street, mm. the first thing you need to do is just get away and de-escalate that situation yeah, because sure. these things can be really dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah, it can give you kind of like a, a mentality of like, oh, I, I can handle myself in any situation. Yeah, for sure. I saw them... Um, uh, Jocko Willink video recently and mm. like you know black belt in jiu-jitsu baddest of the bad but but he was like no because like if a guy puts his fist up to me I can run away and you know if a guy starts throwing kicks at me I'll just run away he said the only time I need my jiu-jitsu is if they grab me so I can get their hands off me yeah. and run away mm -mm. and he's like oh yeah that, that's probably the, like that way you're probably going to get out of it okay like anything else beyond that you could have a problem if you just run away. You're fine. Yeah, that's and yeah. that's the move most of the time. Stuff's happening yeah, on yeah. the street. Curious, have you ever been in a street fight? We talk about this to pretty much every every coach. <laughs> Jeez, guys, you're, you're almost so you you're almost gonna laugh when I say that. So can you pull that up just a little bit? How's yeah. this audio? Yeah, it's good. You, it's you good. can move it. Loud. You can like grab the base and just shh, get okay. it up right in front of your face there. Yeah, there we go. How's Jeez. that? All right. Uh, so you guys will probably laugh when I say that. Um, as far as a street fight, in a street fight context, I've never punched someone in the face. Really? Ever, ever. The closest I came as an adult to a street fight, I was living in London at the time. And um, I can't remember, something happened and we were outside some club and there was uh, some smaller looking guy who was, it looked like he was being bullied by someone else. So I was pretty naive and I was just like... How old are you here? Like, uh, I was probably like uh, 24, 25... Uh, somewhere around there, kind the, of mid the golden age for yeah, doing the, dumb things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the early twenties. And um, so, um, yeah. So anyway, so I saw this thing. I, they, it looked like there was a scuffle happening, and I remember. And I said, I was like, I was like, I was like, that's not right. So I got in just to try and kind of like create some space between the two guys. And then the bigger guy, the aggressor, he grabbed me around the head and he put me in a headlock. Oh, a headlock too. And I was like, now remember, that's like this is this is like this is like the doorway into jujitsu, right? And I'm just like. But you put Had you me trained up to this before? Yeah, this yeah, yeah, no. So, so, okay, I, so, so I'm a, you're not getting this cold. No, no, no. Oh, correct. Okay. So, I mean, so the thing was, no, bro. This, this oh. was now kind of like, geez, this is playing to my A game. But <laughs> he, he put me in that. So he put me in the headlock, and we standing, he's standing there like that. And the thing was, so, um, geez, it was like, it was like an, a phenomenal. I don't even know how a moment of self control where I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just said to him, I was like, bro, just cool it, just cool it. But the thing was. I, I knew I knew I could have literally just kind of rendered the dude limb from limb, but yeah. like, and there was so much like adrenaline going through me that when I didn't like, but you that, swallowed it, right? You, you oh, just, and it was so tough that I, I yeah. even remember like it's probably embarrassing. I shouldn't put it on the podcast, but when my buddy and I were on the bus home, I was actually, I actually cried because there was so much like excessive kind of like adrenaline yeah. and intense like at the thought of like, geez, how, how badly I could have actually, do you know what I mean? Just like- and You get into oh, those, even though you did the right thing, you get into those psychological things where you're like, I should have done this, I should have done this, I should have yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably had a couple of those thoughts. Oh just man. Grabbed yeah, so, so even though you took the high road, you still like in that frustration and angst on the way home are like, what, you know? You yeah, yeah, that, oh, that the adrenaline, road. yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, cause I mean, you know what it's like, like a, a, like a physical altercation. It's like, geez, your, your, 
your your emotional aspect, like your physiology, yeah. like there are major things kind it's of surreal a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly, correct. So, and I think there's obviously, I mean, probably people deal with it differently and how they kind of like come back down and process and kind of just uh, work through things. So, like, it's really hard when that fight or flight kicks in. And, yeah. and you don't really do either like like you did you actually did the right thing it's and flight, just flight, yeah freeze. yeah it's right. flight fight or freeze but none of those things happen and you just sort of like talk your way out of the situation well your body didn't know you've done that yeah, your body's sure, still like sure. yeah. let's fucking go <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly, exactly and you have to process that you, it's not just gonna you can't flip a switch right You're, you just yeah. gotta process that yeah that, that's so interesting did what was I going to say? We were talking about the, the street fight. Um, yeah. Oh, so you, you trained already up to that point. So you already yeah. had a little bit of confidence in the situation at least. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it's when you haven't have very little confidence and then that happens to you. That can also jolt people with like no training. Sure. Sure. That's when you see people freeze and stuff. And so I want to ask, like, what, what got you in the door of training? Because a lot of people, like for me, it was like insecurity, I guess I would say, right? It was okay. yeah. feeling like weak. Yeah, for then, sure. For and sure. so that was kind of what... You know, like you would in a moment like that where you get bullied mm. or something like that. So because, and the reason I say this is a lot of people, when they start training, they will look for the fight. Like if it's upon sure, them, sure. They, will in, they will engage in that and they yeah. will indulge in it to be because maybe it's yeah. anxiety or stress or sure. maybe they're training because they have like, got a volatile temper or whatever. Like mm. what was it for you that like when you did it, it what demon did it purge? Like what, where, where did that come from? Yeah, sure. Um, so... Uh, my story, how that goes, is that, uh, so my brother, he's the only reason why I got into jiu-jitsu. But the backdrop of that is, so my brother used to work for some kind of IT company in South Africa, and he met some dude at this company who was doing MMA. But now again, this is like 99 slash 2000 in South Africa, and he was doing some just raw and rugged MMA, and he said, oh, as part of my MMA, as part of my MMA, I go to this grappling thing, you should come. So obviously what Big Brother does, oh cool, little brother, Jay, cool, come, we're going to check out this thing. And so I was he probably- setting you up, yeah, man. I, I need someone to ragdoll, so He was setting on. you up yeah. oh, He was probably just like, oh yeah, cool, come with me. But actually, so we had kind of, I mean, we had had some exposure to other combat sports before. So when we did uh, a bit of boxing, again, the same thing. My brother was like, oh, just come with to the boxing. And you know, he would take me along. So we first kind of did that. Um, so anyway, so we went to go check out this grappling. Oh, and here's the funny thing, right? So obviously we went to go watch. That was the first thing. We went to go watch a class. And we get the, and you know what it's like. To the untrained eye, jujitsu is like, what the flip is going on? Yeah. What are these people super doing? Super gay. It looks it, super gay. Man, just just, <laughs> especially no gay, no south. If you're oh. just looking at it and you have no context, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's bizarre. You know, yeah. Your brain is trying to process what's happening, who's trying to do what here. Okay, so that's obviously that's the underlying aspect, right? So we get there, and I remember this guy who we initially trained with, the class we went to go watch, he was like ahead of his time. He did some crazy things. One of the things that he did, and this is now again like probably uh, 1999. So we went to go watch a class, and at that night, what he happened to be doing was he happened to be doing team grapples of three versus three simultaneously. Oh. Oh. So you can imagine with this extra element, <laughs> I got there and I was like, what the flip is going on? I was like, what? Because already it's like... You mean you weren't like, sign me up. Straight <laughs> like, oh, I want to do this. Three, 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 yeah, yeah. I was, like, I was like, what is going on here? And geez, I remember, I remember thinking like, what is it? I remember thinking like, oh, what a bunch of, you know, what a bunch of rubbish or what a waste of time. And then again, my brother was like, oh no, come, we're going to go do a class. So the only reason why I got into it was my brother. But, so that was just how I got exposed to it. Now, the thing was, I was pretty young at the time. Um, the other thing was, is that, so it was very hard. Now, because remember, they didn't have this cool kind of like 
amazing onboarding process and making it easy. So it was, it was very hard. Yeah, it yeah, it yeah. was extremely hard at the time. So I didn't like it. That was the truth. I just didn't like it. I, it sucked. I got beat up and the dudes were way better and I'd always lose and it, it really sucked. Um, but somehow my brother liked it or he kept going. And I mentioned this to you at the club the other day. The only reason why I kept going was because my brother just dragged me along. And it, it was it was actually more work to get out of going than to just go with him. Yeah. So literally, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to training. Oh, come on. Why aren't you going? Right? You'd bug and nag me. And so yeah. it was such a such a spiel that like eventually, the, actually, the easier thing to do was just go. And I didn't <laughs> the, the like it. listen to him talk shit the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, actually, I didn't like it. So I was... Um, as I was kind of getting into gymnastic, oh, sorry, uh, jiu-jitsu uh, uh, at a similar time, I actually got into gymnastics and I, I love gymnastics. Yeah, you so you I did this handstand roll that everybody was just eating shit hard today. You know, <laughs> you know where you do like a full handstand and yeah. then you tuck and gracefully roll from all the way down your spine? Well, he did it gracefully. Everybody else was just like straight up and boom, straight down every time. Yeah. So you keep hearing back slap off of mats, people getting spiked on their head. Yeah, yeah. Some guys, they did impressive. Uh, you look uh, beautiful doing it. I'm just going to be real. Classic, it bro. looked amazing. Yeah, you so, made it look easy. It was not as easy as I thought it would be too. Yeah, it looked like some guys were actually taking themselves down out yeah, of their yeah, hands exactly. I was like, geez. Anyway, so the thing was, so I remember that, I mean, so gymnastics for me was, that was something I loved and I enjoyed, right? And I, I mean, I just did it recreationally. But I mean, I was quite old. I was kind of like, well, relative to gymnastics. So there was no, I had, there was no career. There was no kind of future in gymnastics. Yeah. Plus, so I'm, I'm quite a heavy set guy now. Then I wasn't as big, but the point was my body type wasn't actually ideal for gymnastics either. But there were certain aspects that I loved, which was probably kind of, um, which probably kind of, uh, influenced what are the aspects that I like about grappling our folks on, hence the balance and the weight and certain things. Um, so th at the time when I was exposed to, um, when I was exposed to jujitsu initially, I was doing gymnastics as well, and that I way preferred. But uh, yeah, through my brother, uh, his kind of persistence, jujitsu was what kind of won out in the end, or the grappling was what won out. When did you, uh, when did you find your like intrinsic motivation? to go as opposed to like yes because yeah, at some yeah, point yeah. it has to shift or you yeah, wouldn't yeah, be still yeah. doing it to this exactly. day exactly right? okay oh, that's uh, an amazing question right cool very very insightful so i remember the it was literally like i can remember it uh i can remember it like like Voila, i'm sitting here now like you're no no, no. so or... i remember i went and one day i sat in we had like a little study in my parents home i'm still living with my parents and um again this is something i mentioned uh at one of the classes and I read this article online about this guy that was talking about the use of space and weight. And I read it. And there were a couple of things he said in there. And like, it, it just made perfect sense. And then when I went and I did that, it completely changed grappling. And it got to the point where, oh, now I could actually do something and I could actually win. And therefore, it became fun. Yeah. Because now, actually, it wasn't just being beaten up. I could understand certain things and I could now know oh, here's what I'm looking to do here. It's, it kind of gave me a handle to kind of work with. So as soon as I realized, oh, wait, there's something that I can use and I can do, which actually helped me to win and help me to actually not win all the time, but at least start by now getting some positive feedback, some positive reinforcement. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can enjoy it. Because up until that point, I didn't enjoy it because like I would just lose, you know what I mean? Just yeah. get beaten up and like, so gee, I'm not surprised I didn't want to go. So at that point now, when there was actually like that shift and like that kind so of something conceptual click for you yes. and you were able to like immediately apply it. And, yes. and so you had the reinforcement of the actual rolling itself cement this and cemented this concept in your head and it just like, but Correct. then you got bit by the bug or something after that. Is that, um, yeah. So it was, it was, um, so yeah, it kind of, it gave me like a foothold into kind of like some proficiency within the sport, which then 
as I'm sure you know, like as soon as you get good, oh, you want to get better and then you want to get better. So it kind of, it started that. Um, and then for me as well, uh, just as like a youngster, just also that was a massive self-esteem booster. You know what I mean? Actually getting good at something. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so that was a big thing for me because it wasn't like, oh, I just Especially did Especially something hard. Yeah, right, something you're hard. Eating shit for a lot in the beginning, right? Yeah, the first yeah, yeah. six months or year in jujitsu are brutal. People forget. A lot of times, I find that like black belt instructors who've been black belt instructors for 10, 20 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. they can kind of get desensitized a little bit to 100%. how hard it is when you start. Yeah, and uh, it is brutal. You know, bruises and sort certainly when you started, it was yeah. like that. So you really earned that. And then when you have that conceptual thing and it clicks, and then you can like execute a little bit better. You had the sort of suffering that was required to appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, the crucible. And then we were able to like execute a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so it was, yeah, that self-esteem of kind of kind of getting over the initial hump of something quite hard. Um, and then I think obviously relative to the guys in the club, my progress, uh, my progress uh, I think, developed quite quickly. So I think that also was like another kind of like massive uh, booster for my self-confidence and self-esteem. So I think it was those combinations of, oh, I could actually enjoy it now and understand it and be like, okay, great, let's get better at it. Plus, it was something that I knew, oh, hang on, I, I think I can actually be quite good at it. Yeah. So, yeah, those were like two massive drivers for me. Well, there's a magic moment when you, 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 you get a, a concept or like a technique or something. Like, I had a very similar uh, memory. It stands, I can remember exactly where I was, exactly when it happened. I was uh, doing Muay Thai with Krunoi, my, my Muay Thai coach, my old Muay Thai coach, um, at the old gym that I used to work at. And I'd never been a kicker before. I kicked, I kicked. I always did kick, but kicks, mm -hmm. kicking in the Dutch style, which is what I first trained in. Okay. I don't know if you're like familiar between like the difference between the Thai style and the Dutch style of kicking. No, boxing. not. Uh, I mean, nothing. Uh, the Dutch style is very heavy, very brutal. They like to like throw their hands and then finish with like really chopping low kicks. But the kicks are often like punctuation on like a combination. Okay. So they they like ba 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 boom. They really fam fam uh, famous for slamming in like a low kick at the end of combinations. But usually the kicks are in singles. They're built for power. There's not mm -hmm. as much finesse in it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I started training with the Thais, they did this warm-up, and I still do this warm-up for every Muay Thai class we do this day, to this day. And it's because I had this sort of realization after we did this warm-up. He had me doing this warm-up. It's called the, th I call it the 300 warm-up. So for we do it at the beginning of every class. You do 100 push kicks, you do 100 knees, and you do 100 round kicks. Wow. So we do a five-minute skip, and then we do that every class. If you come for like two to three weeks, you've done thousands and thousands of kicks, right? So you get immediate benefits really, really quick, awesome. right? And so after I'd been doing this for a couple of weeks, I remember I was just shadow boxing and I threw a kick and it clicked in my head. And this is, by the way, after like seven years of training. So this is not like a story about how I pick something up super quick. I'm a slow learner, right? But I hit that kick. My hip turned. The body mechanic went. And as soon as I landed it, I knew that like I figured out how to throw that awesome. fucking kick. My yeah. brain clicked right in my head. My body just knew it right. And you could just feel it. And I still have that moment of like landing it. And I'd be like, I figured it out mechanically. I finally figured out exactly awesome. how to do it. And it's a profound moment. And then I yeah, fell yeah. in love with kicking as a result of, of, of uh, after that, right? And it brought me into this whole other space because the, I knew when the coaches tell me how to kick, what to do. And my body was just trying it and trying it and trying mm -hmm. it. And then right when it hit, it sweeps over at the perfect time. You land perfectly in place and you're just like, what just happened? <laughs> you know awesome, what I mean? awesome. Yeah. Those are really magic moments. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it's applicable to like any cra any tra uh, trade or craft sure, that you sure, have. Sure. That moment yeah. when you get some sort of like crystallization, is it so satisfying? Oh, Especially man. when you dedicated time and energy yeah, to going through that learning phase in the beginning where you suck at it, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, yeah, it's a cool point that you mentioned about the idea that 
I mean, you still utilize something which, you know, you got uh, exposed to kind of like at the start or uh, from your initial training. And the same is true for me. Um, I mean, some of like the warm-up stuff was literally uh, like from our initial grappling days. Some of the things that the guys showed us with movements, it's the exact same stuff that uh, we do now. I mean, um, just borrowing some of the aspects from your, your point there. It's just amazing to show how, just how impactful kind of what your initial exposure to something can be and how, how that can just stick, uh, how that can just stick with someone. Um, I mean, especially uh, over time. So I think that that's, I mean, not just obviously in combat sports, I think that's quite uh, applicable in many things, but yeah, just nice to see how some things can just really like uh, stand the test of time. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of like rapid fires? Yeah, questions? sure. Go for it. Uh, I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit if you, if you don't mind, because cool. uh, Jason does this thing at the beginning of the class when he's trying to get introduced to the students where he says, tell me your favorite submission or tell me uh, the reason why, uh, sorry, what was it the second one that you said? The, the reason why you, uh, your yeah, favorite thing. Yeah, yeah, the second, yeah, the first one was tell me your favorite submission. The second one was tell me the thing that you like most about grappling. I'm going to start with that one, if you don't mind, because I, I yeah. think that one's quite interesting. So will you tell me your version of that? Uh, yeah. Where do you find the most, um, sorry, the question one more time? Uh, the, the question is, um, uh, what's your favorite thing about grappling? Yeah, so what's, for, what's for example, a submission or an escape or the scramble or the fitness or community or whatever. Um, and I think that mine would be, oh, I love, I love like a fast paced, intense scramble, especially Nogi. So that for me is perhaps like the most fun thing where it is like this tension where it's so fast and it's literally like a knife edge and both people are vi that. Yeah. Oh man, there's like such pleasure in that for me. Very like, well said, dude. You, you increased my heart rate there. <laughs> I, could, I had, I had like PTSD oh, back in my head. I was like, oh man, I'm about to roll right now, dude. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I was more like, oh yeah, that's the point when my gas tank fails. I'm like, nah, they can go on top, it's fine. I'll tell you what, I was talking to Wesley about this because he's trying to compete, right? And he had like, COVID or his girlfriend had COVID a couple weeks before this last competition. We went to JB to Joe Hor for it. He competed really well, was like smashing this dude and then just completely gassed out oh. to the end. And then, you know, once you gas out, mm, yeah, you, tickets. there is something, and I try to get my students to get this at one point. There is something completely liberating about getting your fitness level so good, at least a couple times in your life where you, you being tired is not an excuse and you know it. Yeah. yeah. It's liberating. Yeah, when you know you can go the whole time, yes, the best. that is just like a freedom. Yeah, because when you start to tire, get tired, that stress starts to set in. Yeah, you get sure. out of the flow state a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but yeah. when you can go hard for like six, seven minutes, and you know your cardio is not getting, yeah. then you're so much more free to just yeah, for sure. attack and do stuff, and yeah. you know, fight hard, get into those scrambles. Yeah, 100%. like you mentioned, because so often people are limited by the, their fitness level. Mm. And when you start to feel that that little dread, oh, you're like, oh man, I only got like one or two uh -oh. more explosions in me. Yeah. What, are we, what are we gonna do now, right? When you're yeah. free of that demon in the back of your head. And no. I'm not always, and I'm certainly not right now, I'm not in great shape at the moment, so I'm not coming at you from a pedestal or anything <clears> like that. But when you are free from that periodically, when you really get a lot of rolls mm -hmm. in a week and you just, ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's the best. And yeah, and I think that, uh, I think it has to do with confidence. You know what I mean? When you know your conditioning is like set and it's good to go, it, it just removes like that, that anxiety or the doubt, or, and then you just feel like it, I think it just helps you to kind of like immerse and just go for it. And uh, what's your favorite submission? Uh, my favorite submission is probably that uh, S-mount armbar. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Armbars never go out of style, do they? Yeah. Yeah, they, especially... They always work. Yeah, especially uh, if you're like a big heavy guy. And then I find, you know what I mean, if you just use your weight, it's... Anyway, so yeah, I like it because... Uh, 
uh, I find myself there a lot. What's the like average size of people? Like, because you're enormous, dude. Like you and your you, you and your brother are just. Like, <laughs> Wait, so, I was rolling with your brother when we were in uh, when we were in LA, and I was just like, you know, I was like, arms are wide, and I was like, what is going on here? Because <laughs> they make them a little smaller out in Singapore. Oh, yeah, 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 right. So I'm usually like the big guy here. Okay, generally speaking, okay, right. Yeah. The th- Sorry, first thing yeah. Darius said to me on Friday, because I know Darius did the black belt, I was not seeing him at all. I was like, oh, I was a seminar. I was like, he's massive. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, and- <laughs> no, but everybody was really complimentary about your, your rolling style. I mean, dude, you've been oh, rolling cool. for so long, you know, not to throw your weight around or, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. Yeah. And, and I want to hit you with one more, like, kind of, and I got to get you out of here because you, you got to be back at 730, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But shoot, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think we still got some time. You good? Yeah. Okay, we can keep you. You let me know. Maybe another... 15, 20, something like that. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. So I hit you with like a more, more of like a, a philosophical question. Like sure. What, you know, I always try to get to this, but like what sort of like spiritual satisfaction do you get from this? Is it like, is it the struggle? Is it the sacrifice? Okay. Is it like, cause I always find that there's something, something so primitive and primal about grappling. It's really just okay. like what kids do. It's yes. like, it's like fishing or hunting or like swimming it's one of, it's combat is one of the few, like, I think it's like a zero or a one. It's just like built into the system. Okay. So yeah. when people train they're, they're, they always find some interesting sort of philosophical thing to gain from it. That's why you got people like Bruce Lee, great philosophers who understand sort of the suffering of, of, of martial arts. And I wonder what, what is that deep itch that you get scratched when you like, what really is it? It hits that spiritual level. Okay. You also like to start your classes with prayers. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. which, which I was another thing I was curious about. Um, yeah, sure. So cool question. Yeah, super cool. Um, yeah, so uh, let me just, uh, so I'm going to do two things if I may. Uh, I'll give you just a quick little backdrop of uh, why I like to kind of uh, uh, open a class with a prayer. And then I'm going to answer your question of what do I think is kind of that primal, intrinsic thing that's kind of being scratched or itched or yeah. so I'm going to come well to said. that. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that... Um, so when I first got into grappling, uh, so actually, so, okay, so let me just start again. So I'm a Christian, right? So born again, classic kind of uh, uh, Christian. I wasn't always a Christian. So I, uh, my mom used to go to church and would drag my brother and my sister <laughs> to church. And I hated it. I hated it like you wouldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, guys. I, it, I, I, I lo- go through the same thing. I, I loathed it, right? I, I detested it. And then... Uh, so my, my parents had loads of issues uh, growing up. Like there was massive dysfunction in our family. So there was a lot of kind of like messed upness and all of us kids from just what was happening. And so I didn't, so there was a lot of that that was really messed up. Uh, plus I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so when I got exposed to jujitsu, I was like, and I began to get quite good at it. I was like, oh, actually, hang on, this is something I can do with my life. I was like, wow, this is it. So I went full throttle. So I was kind of semi-professionally competing at the time. I was quite young. I started uh, an academy. I had some investors get into it. And guys, I mean, I went full throttle. Like I was, so at the time I had uh, accomplished like a good degree of success relative to South Africa. Um, and so th- the crazy thing was though, was that even though I'd kind of accomplished all these things, like, geez, I, I, so at the time it was South Africa's uh, biggest academy, um, you know, I had like this, uh, amazing fiance who was beautiful that I was engaged to and her dad was rich and I'd won like these competitions and there were all these things that there were all these things that I, I kind of thought that, Oh wait, hang on. 
life is telling me that if I get all these things, that's it, I'm going to be happy. That's it. If I get all these things, it's going to fulfill me and it's going to fix me or something's going to happen. And I remember that I got the, all these boxes were ticked and I was like, but it's not enough. There's got to be something more. Anyway, so I started this kind of like this idea of like this journey of trying to like seek and search for something. And then so crazy thing, right? So uh, I hope you don't mind if I wax lyrical for like five minutes. No, tops. please go, man. So the I'm thing was, so, yeah, so I, I started smoking dope a lot, right? So that was my thing was, oh, I started smoking weed a lot. And that was when, uh, just before I went to Brazil for like a competition. So I started smoking dope a lot. And that also put me onto kind of like this esoterical kind of like search and like chakras and anything like Eastern was cool. And that was pretty like fascinating. And so that for me kind of put me on like this pluck, right? Um, and what I mean by pluck is that put me on like this little journey, like a little pursuit. And then the thing was, um, so because I've been through all like this stuff with my parents and our upbringing and got good at jujitsu, my, my, my will was quite strong. So I was a very strong willed person. And I mean, I think it was one of the, one of the ways I was just able to kind of accomplish like a good amount of success. But now as I started kind of the searching and the seeking, like, oh, my life actually began to spiral downwards. So I'm smoking a lot of dope now. Uh, things aren't going well. There's still problems with my parents. I, geez, I did something really bad in my relationship with my fiance. I've been unfaithful to her. Uh, there were all these, and now, oh, my, my life just began to spiral further and further and further downward. And then I didn't realize it was going down. I didn't realize that my life was getting to a mess. And then flip it, guys. I remember it like it was three seconds ago. There was a Saturday when my friend called me and he was like, hey, listen, because I had my academy then and we used to train on a Sunday, like you guys train on a Sunday. And he said, hey, do you want to go, uh, do you want to go, uh, uh, do you want to go smoke a joint and do some rolling before the class tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, cool, it'll be fun. And then when I said to him, I said, yeah, it'll be fun. It scared me because it made me realize how deep and how dark of a hole I was in because I had forgotten that it was possible to have fun. I didn't know that it was allowed or okay to have fun because there was so much stress. There was so much pressure. I was so messed up. I could see that, oh, hang on, wait, life isn't working out. I've got all these things I'm supposed to have made me kind of happy or fulfill me. And it, it's, it terrified me, right? It terrified me. And it made me think that, and the reason why it struck such a chord of fear in me was because I realized, oh, oh hang on, I'm in a very deep pit here and I know I know that my self-will, no matter how strong it is, cannot get me out of it. It was like, it was like I saw it. I saw it instantly and I was like, oh, What was that oh. about the sa sounds fun part about it that, that triggered it for you? Uh, it just, the idea that like, it kind of like, the idea that, oh, hang on, there was still fun or that there was still something good in life or there was still pleasurable things. Like it just made me realize, oh, oh wait, hang on. Where, like I kind of like gradually sunk so low that I didn't realize how dark and how low and how bad it was until like, oh, hang on, wait, but there's supposed to be fun in life. So it was just that word that triggered the idea of like, oh, wait, hang on, something's really, really wrong here. So it was just kind of like a trigger word. And then um, anyway, so uh, that was, was kind of a bit of a, uh, like a stark realization. Anyway, we get to the club uh, and now here was the, here was the crazy thing. So he and I, cool, we go to the club, it's a big gym, we're there by ourselves and we start grappling. Okay, we, we're there all by ourselves. And so we're busy grappling and then all of a sudden there's this moment, I have this moment where it feels like something prodded or poked me in the abdomen now i know that sounds a little bit weird so just bear with me and it was a little bit weird literally we're grappling i think i was in side control or something i was on top of the guy and it was a little bit weird so i said to him i said hey listen very cool let's just stop and take a break so i stood up uh turned around and i took a couple of steps and as i took a step it was like and we were in the third story of like a 10-story building it was like it was like there was this tsunami 
there was this tidal wave that was bigger than the building and it it started to push and course through me and it was it was the most powerful thing it was beyond anything i could have ever conceived but at the same time it was the most incredible thing i could i could not it was it was beyond any description and i started crying i had no idea what was going on there was this there was this force that was so mighty and so powerful and it was just it was beyond any kind of description i remember thinking oh i don't know what this is but if there is not some kind of a conscious being controlling this like the intensity of it had the ability to rend me limb from limb and then was it like anxiety or no, was it no no no, no, joy no, no like... yeah so it, it, it was so now I can tell you, so I'm skipping forward a bit, but it, so it was effectively love, right? It was okay. like, I was feeling like love, but it, so to answer your question, no, it was a pleasant, pleasurable, euphoric. I was waiting for you to be like, I took a step. <laughs> and that's when I had my first panic attack. Sorry guys, I, sh I should have, I should no, have no, no, explained I, that element a bit better. So, so for no reason you stood up and you took a step and overwhelming love. It, 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 it was basically you. like this tsunami of love started pushing through wow. me and i was like and i was crying now the thing was wow, the dudes man. behind me this is going on i'm trying not to let them see me cry you know trying to hold yeah. it in and like crazy stuff now i had no idea what had happened right wow. no idea and i quickly got to my office at the back they closed the door and i start crying I'm, I'm trying to write down what had happened it was just i, I had no idea right wow, but the thing was now here's the thing dudes I'd, i i had no idea what had happened nothing whatsoever i i, I didn't know what happened I, <laughs> the ridiculous thing was I thought that I'd kind of put the yin and the yang together I discovered the secret power of the universe or I'd aligned my chakras this was all the stuff I was thinking I was like oh I've did it I've unlocked the power of the universe I know what people are talking about when they say spiritual stuff or whatever but I had no idea what was going on but the thing was um, I, I, it, although I didn't know what it was the one thing that I did know was that I knew my life would never be the same I knew something had happened where I was now like oh hang on like I tried to change my life before and do things, but now I knew, hang on, something so much bigger than me has happened that is so outside of and so apart from me that I could never have even conceived to have been like delude myself or think that it happened. And I, I knew, I didn't know what, what had happened, but I knew I'd never be the same. I, I knew that. So for three days, I was like, flip, how can I make that happen again? How, how can I do this thing again? And I, I, I almost didn't eat for three days. I was so fixed and so consumed. And then... Uh, I remember I was sitting in my office on, that happened on Sunday, it was a Mother's Day, and then that Wednesday, after all the classes, I was sitting in my office with an Angolan friend, not, uh, not, not Zozo, some, some other guy, actually Zozo's cousin, I think, um, and anyway, I was sitting in my office, and I was trying to figure out, what is the thing, how do I get it to happen again, and that was at the time when I had been unfaithful to my fiance, and I hadn't told her, and we were going to get married, right, and I was so, I, oh, knew, I knew, yeah, I knew that that was like, I knew this was this was life destroying kind of yeah, stuff going on here, so it was it was eating me up so bad. And I was talking to this guy about it, and you know, this things happened to me on Sunday, and this stuff's happening. And then I just said to him, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to lose her. I'm afraid to tell her the truth. And if I tell her the truth, I might lose her. And he said to me, he was like, Hey, Jay, you know what? You know what you sound like. You sound like you sound like um, uh, you sound like a cat trying to run in a circle to get away from its tail. And when he said that, guys, I promise you, I promise you, I felt God say to me, it doesn't matter how far you run, the truth will always be right behind you. Yeah. That, honestly, I felt God say to me, doesn't matter how far you run, the truth will always be right behind you. And I was sitting there in that office. Meaning like you cannot run this. You, you, you can't outrun the truth, this, right? Yeah. yeah, you can't outrun the truth. It doesn't matter how far you run, doesn't matter how much you try and suppress it or get, like the truth will always chase you. Mm. And I remember, uh, so I didn't say anything, but the classic Christian talk is like in my heart. I just said, okay, God, that's it. I'll admit it. I'll own up. I'll own up to everything I've done wrong. 
And at that moment, like I felt Jesus come into my heart, like, like right there and then I felt myself get born again. And the strange thing was, so now at the time I'm kind of adding some stuff, I've, I've kind of uh, uh, given some other language and kind of figured out what's happened. But just to give you an aspect of um, just kind of my resistance to Christianity was when all that stuff happened, right? Before I kind of understood that, oh wait, hang on, you know, I've uh, I believe that, that, that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus and this is the truth and the way and the life. There's no getting out of it. That I, I, honestly, I honestly thought that I don't know what's happening to me. Like before I'd come to that, to that like inescapable conclusion, I remember thinking, I don't know what's happened to me. I know my life will never be the same, but I will do anything other than be a Christian because that's the worst thing ever. That was mm. like, I was like, I'd rather go be like a monk and sit on a mountain. That, that was how much like, I hated the idea. Mm. Anyway, so I went and I, uh, you know, I kind of joined a church and X, Y, Z. And anyway, so God uh, did a whole bunch of stuff to me. I actually stopped grappling for like six years. So part of the story, uh, which hopefully you guys are uh, just finding entertaining at the least, was... No, it's a really great story, man. It's a powerful story. Thanks, man. So, and then, so this ties into jiu-jitsu, into jiu-jitsu which you might like, was... So shortly after that... This now also when happened... Sorry to interrupt, but this happened at the gym, too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. This, at the gym. And, I mean, this is kind of like three levels, because you got the text... You sent the text to go to the gym. That elicited some feeling from you. Then you went to the gym... That had this really, really powerful experience. Yeah, yeah. So it happened literally on the mat. So yeah, that was yeah, yeah exactly. that was the thing. And then um, so now okay, so now I know. Ooh, okay, I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, uh, I believe that like Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And then, so it's probably like a week or two later. Like I felt God say to me, "I want you to give up everything. I want you to give up everything and follow me." Now that geez, okay, so guys, I mean, you can imagine. So probably looked or sounded crazy, right? But I did it. I walked into my academy. So, and guys, it was a proper academy. So it was South Africa's biggest academy at the time. I just walked in. I said, guys, it was like at the beginning of my class, guys, I've got an announcement to make. Sorry, I've been doing this for the wrong reasons. I'm out. Wow, I, you just I, left? I, I gave the academy to uh, the business partner at the time. I went and I gave away everything. I gave away the clothes that I owned. I gave wow. my car back to my dad, everything. And I just, so it's a bit of a crazy story. But... Uh, that started uh, that started a journey where so I actually took a break from jiu-jitsu for about five or six years where I did basically no training um, and I, I, one of the reasons for that is because I felt like so I was a very broken guy like I was proper broken like like the only esteem that I could give myself was my jiu-jitsu performance right winning competitions running this big academy so that's the, how you self-identified you didn't that's have how the layer validated my existence that was kind of myself <clears throat> everything was built on that enough uh, uh, I believe that the reason why God extracted me from that was to uh, was to give me and to build up within me an identify that, uh, an identity that was founded on him and not on the sport but I always knew that, ooh, that it was still going to play a part in my life so Guys, it's a long story. Thank you for bearing no, with no, me. No, no, keep talking, man. Um, don't, don't be so, shy about so the it. reason why I'm saying that is because so then when I got back into the sport, geez, admittedly, I think I'm a, geez. Uh, Were you nervous going back? I mean, when you decided. Oh to make man, that. so yeah, maybe what we can quickly touch on was how hard it was to go back mm. because after a break of five or six years, it that yeah that was incredibly hard. But just to quickly wrap up the tail end yeah, yeah, please, um, please. of that thing was oh so the reason why I like to start each class with a prayer was. Because I feel like, uh, I feel like, like, geez, guys, God has done an amazing work in me. Seriously, like, just like the the person that, like, he's developed in me. And just, just, I'm so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the work that he's done in me. Like, I promise you, you, you probably wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between me now and then. Between me now and between me then. 
So that's just one of the ways that, because in South Africa, the grappling community is relatively small, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I do it is because just as a means of kind of like displaying and just kind of like giving some honor back to God to be like, sure, God, you know what? The reason why I can even grapple and the reason why I enjoy it and the reason why I feel like I'm a better grappler now than what I ever had hoped to have been is because of you. And that's why I like to pray at the beginning of, of a class. Um, so yeah, also I know it's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a novel thing. Like uh, I haven't come across any other dudes that do it. So I know sometimes when I go and do another seminar at other clubs in South Africa, um, yeah, you know what I mean? It's pretty, it's pretty unusual. You know what I mean? That you have like a prayer at the beginning of a class. Um, so thanks. That was the long kind of backdrop of why I pray at the beginning of the class. And then to answer your other question, right, about what is it about jujitsu that I think includes a spiritual element or kind of like touches on that innate, intrinsic aspect is, so bear with me here. So I believe that all people are made in God's image. So what, what do I mean by that? I mean that not that we are little gods, but that like we are kind of, we are not a replica of God, but that we are made in God's image. And I think that one of the attributes of God is that God is a warrior, right? I think that that's one of his, I believe that's just part of his person. It's part of his personhood. It's part of, it's, it's just part of his, his immutable attributes. And so I think that there is something which resonates in a person that when you battle or kind of like have the struggle where you're vying for dominance, that's what I think kind of like strikes this chord in man or in a person where there's something so innate, there's something so just in accordance with our actual creation that, um, again, I, I believe stems back to the fact that uh, uh, because I think we made in God's image, and I think that part of God's person is that he's a warrior. So I think that when, when we participate in a warrior-like activity, I feel like it's just kind of, it strikes this kind of like this, this, this deep chord within, within us. So that's... Uh, well, I always find the I always find the link to the the link between like spirituality and martial arts endlessly fascinating, and I mean I think it's something to do with like the the shared suffering. I mean, if you look at every major religion, suffering is built into it, right? I mean, the the picture, the crucifixion, is literally like a, sure, sure. an iconic image of of human suffering, and yeah. so. Buddhism is the first tenement. Is there's suffering in life? You have like uh, if you look at uh, Islam or something, they take a whole month where they don't eat. Yeah, right? yeah. They, they fast from water because it's this sort of sense of communal suffering and trying to like. And when you go through that together, I really think that there's something divine in it. It's often like the number one, seemingly to me, like tenement or testament of of religion is that. You know, we're doing something to justify the suffering that we're all inevitably going to feel as just sure, being sure. people. And at least in martial arts, when you can when you can bottle that up and you can have a room full of people who are in mm. there suffering in their free time and they're in there trying to choke each other or trying to kick each other and it's painful and it sucks and they're losing and they're getting humbled and we're all in that, that suffering together and there's something I think a little spiritual about that. You can kind of yeah. like feel it sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think on that point you mentioned, I think... Uh, yeah, so I think suffering also uh, is an amazing tool to uh, to bind people together. Yeah. So yeah, probably I, the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I strongest mean, way to do. That's yeah. why people love their wives so much. It's why people. Be, <laughs> no, I'm not even trying to be shit, be shitty with it, right? But you go through a life. You're married. You're with someone for a long yeah. time. You know yeah. that person better than anybody, and not all the times are amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know what? So, so I have a d real link with you. Sure, like, you know so that 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 wasn't the analogy I was going to go for, but it's an impressive. It's, it's an impressive right. one. Yeah. Real, guys in war. Exactly. Right? That's what war. I was thinking. Also, yeah. kind of like you know, Navy SEALs training or whatever. Like yeah. how they bind the guys together is you know through all the suffering. You ask those guys, those uh, hundred year old World War Two veterans, they still 
talk about the days they hang with the boys, despite all the human suffering yeah, yeah, around yeah. them, they still identify so strongly with that group because of that. The, of course, the immense scale in this case of, of the suffering, but still, yeah, like yeah. the suffering with your boys, with your friends, or whatever, adds a layer of bond is really hard to replicate in any other thing to that degree, especially because it's physical, right? It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. But cheaper, uh, actually, dude, that's uh, I like the idea about the suffering in marriage. That's <laughs> it's, quite, <laughs> it's definitely quite quite poignant. Well, My wife marriage is also endlessly. divine. So. <laughs> again, My wife suffers endlessly because she's married to me. Like oh, I'm just going out on Sunday afternoon, probably all afternoon. See you later. Yeah, Bye. To be, to be clear, I'm giving a lot of the suffering as well. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yeah, yeah, suggesting that I'm taking yeah. it. I'll, yeah, yeah. Give I give out my own fair share. I think it's true for every spouse. Eh? There's suffering going both ways. Yeah, giving. There's there's giving of suffering going both ways. 100%. Yes. Yeah, giving and receiving. Yeah. All right, man. Man, that was a really great story. Honestly, I cool, thoroughly thanks, enjoyed that. And, you know, it was really well spoken and really well said. And I find it really fascinating that, it, like, so many of these things happen on the mats, right? I mean, mm. you had these these great ideas. on the, I wonder, and this is, you know, this is just a thought experiment. And there's really no way to know. But I wonder what would happen that day if you didn't go to train. Because you had that feeling as a result of you were training already. You were currently in a role. You were in a mental state. Your blood was pumping. Your brain is in a different... Because, you know, you're in a different yeah. space. And you responded to that message in that way. And then you got there and you were rolling. And then you had this moment and it's at the gym. I wonder what would happen if you wouldn't have taken that, that call or you hadn't gone in that day. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a thought. That's quite a way of looking at it. Um, yeah, it's definitely... Uh, were you more susceptible I think, to, to that uh, moment that you had, that sort of divine moment, because you were in an elevated state? You were grappling? Or was it just the perfect... Crystallization of this moment for whatever reason. I wonder what role um, the outside world yeah, you know what? the training had on it, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know what? Um, uh, when I think of, um, uh, I've heard I've heard stories of when people will say that you experience the moment where uh, God has uh, kind of poured out their love on them. Like, um, I've heard of dudes walking on the street and like just have like this divine moment. So, um, uh, I wouldn't say there was anything special about the grappling, but what I would say is I think perhaps. Maybe just in like in God's kindness and mercy, I think grappling was how I was trying to actually find love or find meaning, you know. So perhaps just in you know like just in like His kindness that there was just a moment where He kind of chose to you know reveal His love. So um, yeah, I mean, but geez, I, I love the fact that that is what happened. You know what I mean? Because grappling is like an emit so important to me that it, oh, it's just kind of yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I'm so grateful that that was the kind of the instance and the happening. Well, that's awesome, man. That's a really powerful moment, and I think it's fitting that it happened after training and at a gym, and you know, you, yeah, you yeah, decided yeah, to awesome. go back in this. And really fascinating uh, story. Really fascinating to watch you work. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Ooh, this has been awesome. great. I love. You know, sometimes you do these things, and it's wrong telling dick jokes. Time. I like that you're willing. I like that you're willing to be vulnerable. And half the time, our podcast is just like drunken yeah. shenanigans and like dick jokes. So it's either like sometimes we have a. It's a, nice to have a balance occasion. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable in a conversation because awesome. it makes these things like so much more fun. Like, I was locked in, right? I was sure, really sure. Oh, cool, enjoying man. that. Thanks. You're super easy to talk to. You and your brother are both uh, very well spoken. Thanks for coming to my house and doing this podcast yeah. and the awesome. seminar awesome. and everything, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, just two quick thanks. Firstly, obviously, thank you for inviting me here today. I was like, wow, I felt so... Uh, I felt so privileged. So thanks, man. I was. Uh, I love the fact that uh, you, know, you asked me to sit and do the podcast with you. So thanks. And then um, also just uh, thanks for making me feel so welcome at the gym too. So really appreciated that. And then uh, maybe if I can just end off with a commendation. Um, 
So I really think you're doing a sterling job there at Stronghold. Um, and I think that that just really came through today when you were facilitating the mat time uh, for the overall group. Oh, Luke, well done, my friend. From one kind of, let's call it like academy uh, runner to another, like I could see there are so many things that you just intrinsically grasp about what people need and want in a group setting like that with regards to combat sports and I, bro, I saw it very clearly and I was like wow okay I can see that Luke is hitting some serious key points so uh, well done bro I know oh, that thanks, the guys man. that's such a nice compliment yeah Thank I know you. that the guys are there are getting a lot of benefit of you kind of facilitating and managing and running that so bro keep it up I think it's great awesome man thank you so much for that compliment that's yeah, really nice. sweet thank you man and I got two great compliments the guy that uh, Mike, the other black belt, who yeah, he's cool, London, hey? He came up to me. Mike. If you're listening to this, you're you're awesome, man. I want to get him on the podcast as well. The only time I'd seen him was at your brother's seminar when I got my black belt. Cool, yeah. And then he rolled up for this one too. So you, you gave me my stripe, and then he was. That's like the only time that I've seen him. And he comes up to me to me yesterday, and he goes, uh, as soon as he walks in the gym, he's like, hey man, you haven't recorded a podcast in like two months. What's going on? Oh, uh, awesome. And man. I kind of like in the back of my head was like, kind of noticed it or whatever. And then after I went and talked to him, and I was like, so you, you listen to my podcast? And he's like, I listen to every episode. I was like, are you kidding me? Awesome. Because you awesome. never know, right? Yeah, like yeah, so, yeah. sometimes we do something to get good views, and sometimes we do something to just get a few hundred, right? Yeah. We get, we've gone between like ten thousand, and we've gone to like two hundred. We operate somewhere within that amount of people clicks or whatever listens. Yeah, and also and it was such a nice thing to have someone come and say they listen to the podcast. I was like, awesome. oh man. I I'll tell you your compliment. Mike, I appreciate your compliment. Keep complimenting me and you can come on my show anytime, bro. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'll tell you what's been going on, Mike. Apologies. Me and Luke keep on getting like deadly illnesses switching <laughs> between us, you know. Well, we're back, baby. <laughs> we started off again. season three. I don't know, whatever season yeah, we're Yeah, season be on. three. If, Let's call it season three. Seasons with uh, Jason Gregoritis, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, next week. Uh, next week when we do the podcast on Sunday, it will be right after the two one events this weekend, which are going to be awesome. I'm going to be judging for it. Uh, Demetrius Johnson and Adriana Morais. To Sorry, dude, I cannot believe I'm judging a Demetrius Johnson fight. I cannot believe it. It freaks me out. It's surreal. I remember watching him in the WEC when he was like kind of mid-level and then going on his historic run in the UFC where he has the most title defenses of anybody. He was considered the pound-for-pound pound GOAT. He's only still lost like twice in 10 years, even up to this point. Yeah, and one of those was because he didn't know the rules. <laughs> but like universally considered like one of the goats ever in the history of the sport that I love. And I get to judge a fight. Oh, amazing. Crazy. Man. It literally freaks me out. I'm like, I don't know how to do, how to handle it, right? I'm going to be there and I'll be like, uh. <laughs> so I'm going to gush about that next uh, Sunday if you guys want to check that on the podcast. Also, the second day is uh, Akra Yoon and Christian Lee. Uh, and I'll be judging for that, which is hilarious because I've talked about that decision a lot on the podcast. How, how much are you praying that doesn't go to you and the uh, judges? I mean, I, yeah, I, I kind of talked some stuff about this is a rematch that they had in the last yeah. fight was very Christian Lee's like a, like a Singaporean parent. So he's kind of like a local mm. draw young guy, like 22, went through one, tore up everybody and then lost a close decision and if I, I thought he won against this Korean guy and we were kind of like talking about it. Won. We were talking about it a lot. Oh wow, podcast, okay, so, so this is going to be a big one. Yeah, we were talking, I was kind of talking some shit about it <laughs> and then six months later I'm judging the match and I'm just awesome. like, oh, awesome. man. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden if I'm like the one signing off on a really close fight and then I'll get all the hate back that I, <laughs> that I put out there into the universe. Uh, anyway, so I'm really looking forward to this. They're both, uh, they're on like Amazon Prime now. I think that's where one is going to. So that'll be Friday night and Saturday, so uh, the podcast next Sunday, we'll, uh, we'll have a good uh, podcast, we'll talk about all the fights, uh, the experience there, it's going to be awesome, thank you all for listening, and uh, this is the Stronghold Podcast, we'll see you next time.